Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Well, good morning, uh, everyone, again. Really good. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, that's good. Last week it was like, whew. anyway. Really glad that you're, uh, you're here this morning again to the online audience, wherever you might be in the world today. We welcome you. We're glad you're here with us today also. So uh, today is week three in our spiritual gift series. Now, two weeks ago, if you were with us or you were on the podcast, you began to hear that we needed to build a very needed foundation before we even got to talking about different spiritual gifts. We began to wrestle with the idea That not all the gifts that we possess in our life are spiritual gifts. And also, it's God actually who chooses to give what spiritual gifts he desires to us. We don't have a choice in it. And also, we will be held accountable by Jesus himself for using or not using our spiritual gifts. Now, last week, we really began to see the deep need for humility and our need of character to back up and support the gifts that the Spirit of God is giving our church and us individually. Now, finally, this week, starting today, we're going to dive into the gifts specifically. Now, specifically today, we're going to deal with the love gifts. Now, before getting into each one of these gifts this morning, though, I'd like to answer a few questions that I always have wrestled with. And also, when I have conversations with many of you or other people, I find these are resident among us but are rarely answered. So let me just get up and deal with a few of these. First of all, every single church needs all three types of gifts. If you don't have all the gifts in your community, then your community will become terribly lopsided and churches will tend to overemphasize or only do one part of what each local church is called to look like and be. Now, we've defined, like I've said, all 21 plus gifts in the scripture into three categories. Another author did this, it was really helpful and it's in the symbols behind me. Love gifts, power gifts, and word gifts. Love gifts power gifts, and word gifts. I love how one author sort of summarized the whole conversation this way. He said, look, love gifts manifest the love of God in very practical ways. That's what love gifts are all about. Power gifts demonstrate the power and the presence and the reality of God in a situation. Word gifts clarify the nature, actions, and purposes of God. When you look at those three definitions, you begin to understand, at least I do, why each church needs that. Because if one of those things is missing, it's again like you're having a three-legged stool, and if you're missing one of the legs, you get lopsided and you fall over. Another question to deal with, or an issue, and it's this. Why do some gifts, so many ask me, seem so much more supernatural than others? Should we even say that some spiritual gifts are just natural and others are supernatural? The answer is, everyone, no. Say it loud. No. No. This is not our worldview as Christians at all. Our movement has never, ever bought into the deal of natural and supernatural or spiritual and unspiritual. For us, the secular and the sacred do not exist. They form one reality. We have an integrated worldview as Christians. Think about it. Jesus was fully God and fully human. Or, or the Bible, for example, it is the inspired word of God. It is God-breathed, and yet it is written by humans using their unique personalities, histories, ethnicities, and education. Natural and supernatural are not separate categories. They actually make up reality. So the same with all spiritual gifts. All of them are from God. 
all of them have spiritual power behind them, but they will take on different emphasis. If you've ever hang out with a theologian or a scholar of the Bible, much of the time they'll talk about Jesus from two angles. Jesus from above and Jesus from below. Are they saying they're two Jesuses? No. What they're saying is, when you read the scriptures, some authors deal with Jesus in, from heaven's perspective, and other times they deal with Jesus from down here. Well, it's the same thing with the gifts. They together form a reality of above and of below bound together. One person wrote these words, the worldview of scripture is one of continuity and continual interaction between the visible world that we can see and touch and the invisible world, which the scriptures tells us is there and real. And I would add, and we can also touch. God works in both, and we do ourselves, and, and the church does a great disservice by separating, separating these aspects of creation into supernatural and natural. Now, some of you are going, well, John, thanks for the lecture. Why are you telling us this? Well, let me tell you why. This is all about church unity. See, sometimes many with gifts that don't look or feel so supernatural feel like they must be lesser Christians or they don't know Jesus like those people with the woo gifts over there. Now, what begins to happen is you begin to have a slow creep to disunity. Many start tending to think that those people with power gifts over there must think they're more spiritual than us. But then the reverse can also be true. Some people with the more gifts, they actually think they're better or more spiritual. Or here's the reverse for them. They begin to feel judged because they're just using their gifts and they don't have an attitude of pretense, but people think they do. See, C4 Church, if we want to be okay together, we just need to admit something this morning. All the gifts are going to look different. And if we would all just stop presuming what everyone else was thinking our unity might actually be built a little bit more. What do you think? Right, there we go. So, if you've done church for a long time, you'll notice, like I've said, that churches tend to emphasize only one or two of the three groups. But the problem with that, again, is you fall over. So here's what we're going to do. Here at C4 Church, we are committed to keep struggling together as a family to do all three types of good gifts with character under the conviction of the Spirit by the Word of God so we can see what God wants to do among all of us. Another question. It would seem, some would say, that a lot of the spiritual gifts are actually things we're all called to do as Christians. So, John, what's up with that? I mean, I mean we're all supposed to have faith, right? We're all supposed to be nice to each other. Well, yes. As Christians, we have what we call shared Christian duty. But a gift is present in a person when there is a passion and an unnatural ability or stronger ability than the normal Christian call. I mean, think about it. Pastoring. We're all supposed to shepherd each other. Or evangelism. We're all supposed to tell other people about Jesus. Or faith. We're all called to believe. Discernment of spirits. We're called to be discerning. Kinds of healing. We're all called to pray for the sick. Or giving. We're all called to give. Mercy. We're called to be compassionate. Yet, even though that's Christian duty, and I don't mean duty in the wrong sense, when you have a gift, it's more than that normal common thing. It is what God has empowered you specifically to do with greater frequency and greater power. You ever been around evangelists before? They always bring people to Jesus. And you're like, I talk to people, nothing happens. And suddenly a whole bus convert. Like, what's with you? Are you more special? No, it's a gift thing. It's a gift thing. 
So today we're going to look at four gifts to start our conversation. All of them make up the love gift section. The love gifts, just so you know, are key to the church working right. Now, what's really important for this whole journey as a church is that you do not check out ever. When you start going, well, that's not my gifts, I'm out. No, no, stop. We need you to know exactly what the other gifts look like. So even though they're not yours, you can affirm them in someone else and not get cranky about what they're doing because it's not your passion, okay? So the love gifts are really significant to a church. Love gifts, right up front, I need to say this, are secondary in the sense, hear this, that they're all about support. They're all about building up what God has and is establishing through the leadership of a local church. This again is not about value or importance, it's just about role. Like we learned last week in 1 Corinthians 12 2, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Say the word, indispensable. Heaven declares that these people that have these amazing gifts, these supportive gifts, are indispensable to us and also to him. Now the gifts, here they are, there's four of them. Administration, helps, mercy, and giving. Administration, helps, mercy, and giving. We first heard about this last week in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Let me read it to you. Now you, this is to the church, you are the body of Jesus. And each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then miracles, then the gifts of healing, the gift of helps, the gift of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Now, that phrase, the gift of guidance, is actually the gift of administration. Maybe that's its translation in your Bible. So let's start there today with the gift of administration or the gift of guidance. Now, this is really important that all of us catch this right now. Never misunderstand what administration is and what it's not. This is not a leadership gift. Many that actually have this gift think they have leadership, but they don't. Notice in the passage above, it is placed alongside the supportive gifts. It is not a word gift or a ruling gift. The ruling gift is about leadership. We're going to talk about that later in the series. It's about vision. It's about inspiration. Well, this is about actually supporting that vision. The key is this, that this gift needs to come under the global mission of every church and also must submit to this local church's Jesus-given gift. The people that have the gift of administration, the where the church is going is not where your part is. It's about how we get there. In other translations, this is called the gift of guidance or wise counsel to the community as a whole. Now, more important is this, and I learned this this week for the first time. The word for administration or guidance is a nautical term. Didn't know this. They, in Greek, use the word helmsman. Now, they are people that get the ship to its destination. The helmsman, one wrote, is the person who stands between the owner of the ship and the crew of the ship. The owner of the ship makes the basic decisions of what is the purpose of the voyage, where is the ship going, and what is it even going to do once it arrives there. But the helmsman gets it from A to B. Here's one great definition of the gift of guidance or administration. A person wrote it this way. The gift of guidance involves a capacity to manage details of service functions as to support and free up other leaders to prioritize their efforts. Now, here's a few symptoms of this gift, and maybe you have it. 
You have a knack for organizing things. You like standardizing methods for doing things. You think in terms of helping people, notice it's other-centered, reaching their goals. You have a concern for the good of a whole group when you get in charge of that group in a subway. You, you, you like to do things that help other people. You don't mind managing things or carrying out details involved. Now, one of the best pictures of this in Scripture happened right at the beginning of the church when they started appointing people called deacons. Now, a deacon and an elder, by the way, is not a gift. It's an office. But one gift that was given to some, not all deacons, is the gift of administration. It's found in Acts chapter 6. And this is very significant for us as we pray about our vision. Acts 6, 1 is this. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, now let's just stop there for a moment. The church had started around 120 people. Then it grew to 3,000, and then it grew over 5,000 within months. So this is an unbelievable revival-like experience that the birth of the church has taken place. It's exponential growth. And then suddenly, in the middle of all of that amazing God stuff, racism rears its ugly head like that. The Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Who said your widow's better than mine? Summary, right? So the twelve gathered together, all the disciples, and said, it would not be right for us, listen, to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now let's just stop right there. If most people would say that to you, you'd go, you're arrogant. Excuse me, you're not good enough to wait on tables? But if you understand scripture through the lens of calling and gift, and you don't presume motive, everything changes. The 12 understood what God had asked them to do and what he'd asked them not to do. Brothers and sisters, choose from among you seven men who are known to be full of the spirit, interesting, and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word of God. Again, notice, this allows people like myself to actually pray and preach. I mean, that's my role in this church. Just want to say that right now. My role in this church as the senior leader in this church, is to pray and is to preach and to give vision. That's the extent of my role. Don't presume when you come to church, when you see the title pastor, what you think a pastor should do because you came from a different place. This, in this place, we're working hard that our roles are based on gifting because that's the heart of our movement. Now, again, notice that these men get freed up. They begin helping people. Administration begins to take place. Other people are freed up. And then guess what? A huge conflict is broken. And the racism thing drops down. Is this you? I mean, do you have this gift? Do you have a passion to do this type of work? Do you do it in the name of Jesus? Do you do it for his glory and nothing else? Well, if so, there's a good chance that this could be your spiritual gift. And if it is, we're so glad that you have it because we desperately always need this gift. That's the gift of administration or guidance. Here's the next one. Let's deal with the gift of helps. Maybe if you grew up in the church, you called it the gift of serving. We also saw this in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. Again, God placed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then the gift of helping. But interestingly enough, this gift, which, by the way, is a huge gift in this community, is also mentioned in two other passages, in 1 Peter 4 and Romans 12. 
Listen to 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you, talking about gifts, should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's an overarching gift thing. And then he says in verse 11, if anyone serves, they should do it so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. And the church says, amen. All right. Now here's the second thing. In Romans 12, 6, Paul, not now Peter, writes these things. We all have different gifts according to the graces given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If, if it is serving, then serve. Now this gift is, is phenomenal. It is given to aid others in practical ways. It is practical service to people in need. It is taking, now this is key, it is taking commonplace tasks and taking, on, taking them on cheerfully, regularly, and worshipfully. The gift of helps much of the time can either be one-on-one -on -one ministry or actually helping a smaller ministry do what it needs to do. A large percentage of a local church will have this gift. Here's a great definition of this by another offer. The gift of helps refers to the capacity to unselfishly, keyword, unselfishly meet the needs of others through very practical means. People with this gift render practical service in the church all the time. Many of you will do menial jobs of a practical nature which frees up other people to exercise their gifts. Knowingly or not, you are helping other individuals reach their full potential as God has called them to be by doing what you are called to do. It is given by God to enable the body to function more effectively, and if it's not done, the body begins to close down. Now, here's some symptoms of this gift. And again, from another author, that if you've got them, you'll sort of know quickly. Number one, you have a desire to help people. Just there's a starting point. If you don't really like helping other people, probably not in your wheelhouse. You have an ability to see how people can be helped. You have an unselfish nature that can do tasks, whether they appear menial or not. And you have a bent towards enjoying practical service more than the theoretical stuff. You have a willingness to do little jobs without credit all the time. You just do it because you know there's joy, you know it's actually helping other people, and you do it out of a place of worship. But again, I need to say this last time. You also will grow an ever-knowing sort of measure that as your gift gets released and grows in maturity, you are freeing up other people, especially people with the gift of leadership, so they can do their job while you do your job. Again, from Scripture, you are called to do this, notice though, in the power of God. Now, this is an uh-oh moment for some of you. And again, online, please listen to this too. If you do not help in the power of God, you will end up feeling one word, used. You will become bitter because you will end up not helping and not doing it for God. And you will forget that God actually has called you to this type of service. And you've been called to set free other people to use their gifts. This gift by its nature is supportive. Again, that is not a dominant statement. It's just a role statement. And when you move from the space of doing it in the strength of God and doing it for God's glory, and you start looking around and saying, but what about me? Suddenly, your life will go sideways like that. But when you do do this in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you serve in small or large or hidden or public ways, guess what? Scripture is clear. You will be given joy, great joy. 
And if some of you, even at this moment, are struggling with this because you still feel demeaned, I remind you that Jesus is the greatest example of helps from Genesis to Revelation. And if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for you. Helps is a beautiful gift. Helps is an amazing gift. Helps allows a church to do what it needs to do. So we've got the gift of administration or guidance. We've got the gift of helps. But now let's talk about the cousin of helps. Let's talk about the gift I've publicly said I don't have. The gift of, anyone? Mercy. Yeah, my wife. Mercy. All right. Either that or my friends. It was my small group. They all said that really loud. Wow. See, real community. Okay, so... Now, the gift of mercy looks really similar to the gift of helps, but as I studied and wrestled and prayed this week, I was really shocked to see the divergence. Mercy is mentioned in Romans 12, and it says, if you're called to show mercy, interesting, do it cheerfully. This gift is about a word we don't like to talk about very much anymore. This gift is about pity, not about pity, pity. This is about compassion. You want to show gracious favor to people in serious distress. This is not just some emotion. This is a deep down calling. It's really divine love under the power of the Holy Spirit, doing compassion in the name of Jesus, which brings glory to God the Father. And, and this is a major and, it is never done with a sense of duty or anger or a scowl. You do not have the gift of mercy. I'm here to serve you. You know, like, it doesn't translate very well. Have, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? If you've done church for a while, I'm here to serve you in Jesus' name. Get out of my, you know, like, you know legalism or duty is in someone's heart when there's no joy in the supposed gift they're using. Let me say that. You know that it's not the Spirit of God when it's done out of legalism or duty. Because there's no joy there. That's just another burden Jesus is trying to set us free from. Notice that mercy is cheerful service to those in need. I found two definitions, and they, and they sort of work well together. Here's the first one. The gift of mercy refers to the capacity to both feel sympathy for those in need, especially the suffering, and to manifest that sympathy in some practical way with a cheerful spirit as to encourage and help those in need. Here's another way. Mercy, someone wrote, is a special ability that God gives certain members of the body of Jesus Christ to feel genuine empathy and compassion for individuals, Christian and non-Christian, who suffer distress, physical, emotional, or mental problems, and translates, this is key, and translates that compassion into cheerfully done deeds which reflect Christ's love and alleviate suffering. Now, I would say that our movement by history, that we've made a lot of mistakes, one of the great things Christianity is known for is mercy. Where there is a disaster in the world, who shows up? We do. Almost all the great agencies, even in the West, that started helping people were started by Christians who had the gift of mercy. Now, here's some evidences that you might have mercy. You might most likely have this gift from God if tears, and I mean this sincerely, tears come easily as you hear or see things about suffering. Most people think of you possessing a very empathetic personality. You want to reach out and help people who are suffering. You are unusually sensitive to hurting people. People in need love to have you around because you cheer them up. You have an unusual desire to express your love to helpless people. And when confronted by hurting people, this is interesting. Your answer is not get a job. 
Your answer is, what are, no, this is key though. Your answer is not, what are you doing in my country? Oh. It says, how can I help you? See, for people with mercy, color doesn't matter. Politics doesn't matter. No, 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 no. This is about Jesus meeting someone's need directly. You have an unusual desire to express love to people that most people don't want to be around. You will tend to deal with the ill, the prisoner, the blind, the poor, uh, the aged, the unlovely, the shut-in, the mentally ill. Hospitals are a place that you love, not dread. If you have mercy, then compassion and kindness for you is not just a program that you do. It is a lifelong calling from the living God who himself is mercy. You will continually seek opportunities to show pity, and, and this is your life. And when you look around at the church, you don't understand why everyone else doesn't get this. One of the most amazing examples in scriptures of mercy is in a one-line verse. And it's profound because we're sitting in Ajax and the world's listening somewhere online. And we're still talking about this woman. Listen closely. Acts 9.36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. She was always doing good and she was always helping the poor. Other translation says that she was full of charity. She was always doing alms deeds. The original Greek says she was always involved in mercy deeds. This woman is an amazing example of a person with a gift of mercy. She was always doing good. And listen, 2,000 plus years later, we're still talking about Tabitha. But there's a key thing we need to talk about before we leave mercy. How does the gift of mercy and the gift of helps look different? Well, here's basically the differentiation. Here it is. Helps is usually about, in a local church context, helping out ministries so they can function well. Well, mercy tends to be directly to the individual that's in crisis. So here's an example. Lots of people with a gift of helps would do stuff naturally, set up chairs. They would be the ones doing hospitality and helps in the kitchen before like a volunteer gathering. Uh, a lot of maybe ushers and greeters may even have the gift of helps. Well, people of mercy are down right in the trenches with people that are in severe trouble. One is almost helping out organizational things and also people, but mercy is face-to-face -face in the trench with people that are in critical need. They're together, but they're very different. So the love gifts are expressed administratively. They're expressed in helping. They're expressed in deep mercy. And by the way, City of Hope is full of people with the gift of mercy. It's why we started the whole idea of City of Hope, because we desperately need to be involved in the life of those who are in tragedy, because we're Christians. We're not a fortress people, right? Right? Good. Thank you. So mercy is key. But here's the last one. The last love gift in the scriptures is the gift of giving, which again takes on a very interesting form. Again, we saw this in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Paul wrote this, if your gift is giving, then give generously. Now people with this gift have a real sensitivity to God and want to channel their resources to others. And here's the key thing. People with giving give money away with joy, with right motive, and they love doing it. It's a generous thing. Now, before many of you go, awesome, not my gift, I don't need to give anymore, and Dave is having a heart attack at this moment, stop and understand that God is clear about this with all of us. All Christians are called to sacrificially give. The rich Christians among us and the poor, children and teens, yes, teens, young adults, yes, even you, adults, and everyone in between. 
the less and more mature all of us are called to give God what we're called to because he has given us so much. Now, as I read the Bible very carefully, it is clear to me that we are all called to give 10% of what we make to the Lord and his work, period. That is the bare minimum God commands of each of us if we're really a Christian. And the truth is many of us at C4 Church are not willing to make lifestyle changes or get our financial house in order so we can obey our God. This is a lordship problem at C4 Church. Not a cultural problem, not an age stage problem. It's a lordship problem. Until Jesus really gets to say to you, no, I own your resources, you will continually have a wrestling match with the one who created all things. Guess who's going to lose? You. Jesus says to all of us that he comes to set us free. And lordship at its heart is having Jesus walk into our money and our time and our sex lives and everything that we are and say, no, this is how it needs to go, not because I'm a thug, but I actually love you. See, for church, the more that Jesus' lordship takes root in our community, the better things are going to get for us. So he comes and he says, 10%. Now, the call for this radical giving, which by the way, we're not even at the gift of giving yet, is summarized by one Old Testament and one New Testament verse. The great Old Testament verse is Malachi 3.10. Bring whole, the whole tithe into my storehouse that, the, that there may be food in my house. It's talking about the temple. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing there'll be no, not enough room to store it. It's talking about the idea of honoring God because he's commanded it and he deserves it because we're about his glory first. The other one is 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you, to Christians, should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. You will only be a cheerful giver, though, not because a pastor said you must, but because you've come to the place where Jesus is Lord and you want to obey him. That's where charity comes from. Don't use 2 Corinthians 9, 7 to give less because you're saying, well, I haven't decided to do that. Jesus is Lord. And when he's Lord, there's freedom. And when there's freedom, you get joy, cheer. But none of this is the gift of giving. This is just what we're all called to do. Those with the gift of giving are going, this is obvious, John next. The gift of giving, they give far above and beyond that to the regular work of God. They're always thinking about how, how they can give, and they're sad when they cannot give. Most people, let's be honest in this room and online, most of us do not go around, oh, what a terrible week. What happened is, what's going on? Oh, I just couldn't give more of my money away. In this culture, don't, don't touch my money. But people with the gift of giving are deeply burdened by God's purposes, and they love to give money away, and they love to give time away, and there's actual sorrow with them when they don't have the ability to do more of it. And they look around, because we get the calls, and they go, why doesn't the church understand the joy of giving? And we go, you probably have a gift. You haven't talked to it. Notice again in Romans 12, the description or the call here is to give generously. The word generously, interesting, is, just means simplicity, but it literally means something else, which I was really shocked by this week. It means you will have no fold in a cloth. And I said, well, that's really weird. This is a Kleenex and a cloth, but it will get the point across. I said, well, that's really strange. Why is Paul talking about garments in the middle of giving? I don't get that. And then I understood it. He's saying, when you have something flat like this, nothing's hidden. You can see everything, but when you fold something like a cloth, something can be hidden. What Paul is teaching here, which is so, so important for us, is this. He's saying you should not have a fold 
in your mind when you're giving, especially if you have the gift of giving. In other words, you cannot have a hidden agenda for God's people or his church when you give. There can be no ulterior motive, no ruffle in the cloth of your mind. You must have a singleness of mind. You must have mental honesty. You must come giving without, here's the word, pretense. If you have the gift of giving, it's never about politics. It's never, oh, I'm going to say this, ready? It's never about tax receipts. What would happen, just a side note, if, you know, we as churches got what Australia got and there was no more tax receipts? Would we have to close the doors here? I'm just asking. Well, good, at least one person's given. <laughs> no, honestly, it's never, the people with the gift of giving, it's never about politics, it's not about tax receipts, it's not what you think you want to accomplish or what you think the church should do. It's about you giving with a generosity, public and hidden, and you just love it because you know it's about worship. Here's a great definition. The gift of giving refers to the capacity to give liberally, to meet the needs of others, and yet to do so with a purity of motive which senses that giving is simply sharing what God has already given to you. In other words, you really get that you don't own anything anyways. Here's some symptoms of this gift. A sensitivity to recognize the needs of others. A quickness to assume some burden for meeting that need. Uh, you, you can meet it financially. You have a relative freedom from a self-serving attitude. You have a capacity that provides the means to give to others. An ability, some of you, to amass financial resources. Here's another real interesting one. A carefulness and handling finances with a bent towards living a more simple lifestyle so you can actually give more away. A conviction that all you have belongs to God anyways, and you're just the steward of it, so why wouldn't you give it away? It's not going to last, you say. No U-Hauls in the grave. Most of these will be your reality. Now, I was talking to someone this week with the gift of giving, and they're like, John, maybe I was wrong my whole life. Maybe I don't have the gift of giving because you know what? I'm not making a lot of money anymore, and I thought that people that had the gift of giving made a lot of money. No. It's not about how much you make. It's about the idea of sacrifice. It's about this joy that you have and the constant desire to give away. One of the most powerful examples comes from Acts 4. Let me read it to you or you can turn there, Acts 4.34. It says, from time to time, this is so cool, and, and I love the phrase, from time to time, so in other words, not all the time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Just side note. Have you ever seen this in a church? Because I have not. Where someone says, hey, I had three houses, two, let's go. I've never seen this. These people come. It's not about pretense. Then there's Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas. That was Paul's mentor, which means son of encouragement, sold his field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Again, notice, this is a supportive gift which works under and with the leadership of a community. It is radical, it is powerful, it is faith-filled, and interestingly, it is public. And it had a huge impact on that church and would be true here. Radical, public, non-serving, non-self-serving giving will ripple always into a community. Now, our tradition at C4 Church has always been, you know, to do this stuff in quiet, not in secret, but just quietly, and that's fine. That's fine, because people really want to have the left hand, right hand. I get that. But notice that in the chronicles of the church as it builds, much of this was a public act. Why? Because as many of you have said to me, John, we need some more stories around here. It's what they call in old Pentecostal churches, testimony time. 
If you have one of those gifts, or maybe you have all four of them, then I'd like you to come to one of the elders or pastors and just say, I have the gift of giving or the gift of administration or the gift of mercy. And what they're going to do is they're going to pray this. They want to pray for the character you need. They're going to pray not only for the character, they're going to pray that God's spirit would be released in you to do greater work in this area. And they're going to pray too that you would be in the place where you'd know what God wants you to do next, in, in here or in another space. Here's the other thing. If you have this gift or one of these gifts and you've become bitter or, or tired or sidelined, like whatever it might be, just come and say, you know, I need to confess to the leadership or I need God to give me a new sense of power in this area and we'll pray for that. This, this is meant to be a very simple prayer time where people do this. So what I'm going to do is if you can pair up in twos and if some of you can go here and here and here and if you, some could go near the back there, it'd be great. And can I have one pair actually go up to the balcony? Is that possible? Do you guys mind doing that? And so um, why don't we all stand uh, right now? And again, we'll pray for you online who can't obviously do that with us. And then we'll see where this goes. And again, by the way, uh, don't let pride get involved here. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. So uh, Lord Jesus Christ, thanks for your word. Thanks for your gifts. I mean, we as a church just want to say thank you that you would give us gifts. We first of all pray for our online community, those part of C4 Church and those who aren't, and that's them today, and we pray right now for those who have administration and helps and mercy and also giving, that you'd bless them, that you'd honor them, give them the character they need to use those gifts, give them pure motives, fill them with your spirit, give them opportunities in our church or other churches to serve, and also, Lord, for those who are even right now confessing at this moment because they've become bitter or sidelined or whatever. Just heal them, forgive them, and restore them. We pray this in Jesus' name. And Lord, now do your work among us who are gathered here, and we're really expectant to see what you're going to do in our lives in this church. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.carotherscreek.ca.